Welcome back to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. And okay, so we have finished everything for Old Testament survey, and we've done several different podcasts in between um, to kind of bridge the gap and explain that the silent years in between the Old and New Testament, those 400 years were not quiet. They actually were profoundly um, pivotal for setting the world stage for Jesus's arrival. Um, And so what are we going to do today? Well, today is an intro to New Testament survey. And so what we're going to kind of cover today um, is I want to explain how God set the stage for the arrival of his own son. And so honestly, I want to take you guys to Hebrews, which is not necessarily a verse you would expect to go to if we're talking about the arrival of God's son. But I want to start out the way Hebrews starts. And I want you to understand that this is exactly where we're picking up is this description. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, and upholds all things in the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down... At the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he had inherited a more excellent name than they. Okay, so I'm going to pause this there and I want to point out just a couple of things in this letter to Hebrews. First of all, the thing I want to spoke to is how did God speak long ago? Well, he spoke to the forefathers in the prophets in many different portions and in many different ways. Okay, so I'm going to propose to you that that is the entire Old Testament. That is the summary of the entire Old Testament. The next statement that we find there is, In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. Okay, I want to pause just right there because there's so much in that little sentence alone. Okay, so in these last days, this is written in the church age. This is written as the epistles are being written to the new church, okay? Um, And so uh, basically what you have here is Jesus has died. He's been buried, resurrected. Um, He spent his 50 days, and then he's ascended to Pentecost. The book of Acts is mostly written already up to this point. And so basically what it's saying is that in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Okay, well, he sent his son at Christmas time. We celebrate it when he was born in a manger, right? Okay, so what does it say of this son? He appointed him heir of all things. Now, the one thing I want to point out to you here, just on a little side note, is that a son did not naturally become just the heir by birth. That that didn't happen just by birth, okay? So a son exists in a household in a Hebrew time um, on the same par as a servant up until they are granted the right as heir. Um, And at that point... 
um, the father can actually choose to adopt a son and make him heir. Um, and so the adopted son would have equal rights with a birth son at that point. And so I want you to kind of tuck that away in, in terms of the picture for adoption uh, that, you know, uh, that we have been grafted into uh, the family of God. Um, and so we've been adopted. Um, and so our rights as sons are just as strong as any birth son. <laughs> it's just amazing. But that son is not naturally an heir until he is appointed an heir. And so we have here that Jesus was appointed the heir of all things through whom he also made the world. Okay, so through Jesus, he made the world. So here we go in this verse right here. We have Jesus all the way back at creation. I want you to realize that. Okay, and so Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, upholding all things in the word of his power. Okay, so the image here is literally like, so God beforehand speaks through the prophets to his people. Okay, to the forefathers uh, in many ways and different portions and all kinds of things. Okay, but that's not good enough. So God sends the exact representation of himself. All right, so what I want you guys to hear is that sometimes in faith we can see the God of the Old Testament or the Father God as this cold, distant, angry, um, vengeful person, you know, or, or deity, however you want to look at it. I, my wording, forgive me. And then we can see Jesus is, oh, Jesus is loving and Jesus is this. No, 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 no. Okay. What you need to understand is everything you see in Jesus is exactly who God is. So the mercy and the sweetness of Jesus interacting with the woman caught in adultery that is God's heart for us. The, the moments of Jesus looking at the self-righteous, judgmental Pharisees and looking at them and calling them a brood of vipers, that is Jesus. That's God too. Um, and so to understand that the Jesus who flips tables in the house, uh, in the temple, who's zealous for the house of the Lord, all of that is the same as God's heart. That's the same as Jesus sitting with the little children. I, you know, and so to realize that when God sent Jesus, he, he literally sent who he is in tangible form. So, you know, I, I, that has really shifted a lot of how I looked at God of the Old Testament, um, Father God in his role, um, and to understand that Jesus is, everything I see in Jesus is the exact heart of God towards me. And then, you know, so honestly, over the years, um, my view of God has drastically shifted as I've studied God's word. Um, but the one thing I want to point down is that Jesus had to come. It was a part of the plan. Um, you have Peter who later explains in one of his epistles, I think it's Second Peter, where he explains, it might be chapter 3, uh, that the cross 
uh, was in place before the foundation of the world. That before creation happened, this this was all the plan. So this isn't like, you know, all of a sudden God creates this beautiful creation. He puts man in the garden. They have this wonderful relationship and Satan comes and messes it all up. And then God has to go, oh man, how do I fix this now? Well, let's see, I could do blah, blah, blah. That is not what happened here. Okay, so from the very beginnings of creation, God's plan was to send the exact representation of himself to die for you and for me because he knew that sin would enslave us and that we would be forced to spend eternity separate from him if we did not have someone who took our place. Um, and so literally, like Jesus literally is born so that he can uniquely qualify to take our place. Um, so I want to direct you here and the rest of verse 3. It says, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus died for sins once for all, and it was finished. It was finished. And I want to draw your attention to the word, it is finished, because it means to tell us die. And so literally on the cross, right before it says that Jesus gave up his ghost or his spirit before he chose to die, he says, to tell us die, it's paid in full, it's finished. And the thing you need to remember about those words is that they were used in a debt transaction. So it was a legal term. It was very much something in court, you know, could be used in court, whatever. But if you had to borrow from somebody, you would come up with a written agreement um, and you would, like there would be, um, yeah, you would just come up with a written agreement that would detail everything that you owed, okay? And at the bottom of that list, every time you made a payment on your thing, you would add it to the bottom. And so it became like the ledger sheet for the debt. Okay, and it would be held by the person who held your debt because it was their proof that you owed them. Okay, so they could take it to the to the law if you um, did not follow through on your promise to repay. Um, but when that debt was paid in full, in blood, it would be written across it to telestai which meant paid in full. And then usually what would happen is because usually this was a big deal if you were able to pay off your debt, you would take it home and you would literally nail it to your doorpost. Is this sounding at all familiar? <laughs> this should be feeling like I've seen this before, okay? Um, because this has a imagery that's repeated in so many different areas from um, Passover uh, where, you know, the blood put, was put on the doorpost and the death angel would pass over to, you know, just tons of different illustrations here uh, to Jesus's death on the cross and written in blood, uh, you know, whatever. Should, should have just tons of this. But anyway, to Telestai paid in full, okay? And literally, you, they, you would nail it to the doorpost and then you would call your neighbor's together and have a celebration and you would celebrate the fact that you were no longer under this debt okay and so basically um jesus on the cross 
wrote tetelestai on every single debt paper that every person has ever owed. He put paid in full. And so that, because of that, we are given access through Christ. Um, to, and we're seated in heavenly places. We have literally been adopted. And we are now co-heirs with Christ. Get your brain around that. I mean, just wrap your brain around that. It is absolutely amazing to me. Okay, so I want to point all of this to you because this is the context, okay, that we get the Gospels out of, okay? Um, and so when I go to sit down and, and break down each one of these Gospels for you guys, I want you to understand that this was a culture that was waiting for a Messiah, um, and we're going to get into a little bit of that today. Um, some of it is going to be maybe a little bit hard to understand in the sense that um, there is some biblical prophecy that even has timetables to where they knew the year that the Messiah would probably be born and when he would die. Um, and so they had some very clear timetables to know when Jesus was coming. Uh, and so we'll talk about that. That comes out of the um, out of the book of Daniel and the 70 weeks. It talks about the Messiah being cut off at a very specific point that actually correlates absolutely perfectly with the crucifixion of Christ. And so, you know, it's interesting to kind of note that, you know, the because God authored it, the Bible is full of prophecies that have come true. Um, and just take a look at some of those. Um, Rose's book of Bible charts and maps has wonderful illustrations and um, charts that go through Old Testament prophecies um, that have been fulfilled, one specific to Jesus, and it actually even divides them by how far out from the event they were prophesied. Um, and so it's pretty astounding to look at the difference of the ones that were made, you know, within 500 years, within a thousand years, so on and so forth. Um, and so just understand that when you take into account all of those things, you, you just become more and more and more assured of God's authorship of the word and the accuracy of scripture. And so God does not leave us with a book that has not been validated ever. He's leave, left us with a Bible that has been validated over and over and over and over and over and over and over um, in ridiculous ways that don't make sense. Um, remember the one little thing I gave you guys. Um, they always wanted to argue about whether or not Daniel was written as early as it, they thought it might have been written. Um, and there were arguments for that. One of the biggest arguments was there's no way that Daniel could possibly have known about the Greek Empire or the Roman Empire or ships from Kittim. So if you're curious about what I mean by ships from Kittim, you'll have to look that up for yourself because I've explained that in a past podcast, but I'm going to kind of leave that one out for a curiosity um, strike. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, ships from Kittim. And it's amazing to see how accurate Daniel was. So here's the thing. We found the Dead Sea Scrolls back in the, the mid-1900s, um, like what, 1940s, somewhere in there. And literally, we know exactly when everything was put and sealed in, in those caves. 
Um, we know when they were put in. And so, okay, so it had to have been written if it's in those, right? There was a copy of Daniel, a complete, full, intact copy of the book of Daniel in there. So it had to have been written before the Dead Sea Scrolls were put in there, which puts it before all of that intertestamental period that the prophecies are about. So basically, it blew out of the water all of the arguments and naysayers on the authority for the book of Daniel. And what I want you guys to understand is more and more and more of that has happened in the last hundred years that we have been able to unearth some incredible evidence that the world can't argue with. So guess what it does? Ignore and avoid. That's what it does because it doesn't want you to know that the Bible you hold is living and active and real, that the God you seek is real because then there will be transforming power in your life that will make you different, that will make dead men live. And I don't mean that literally always, but you know, Ephesians talks about us being dead in our transgressions and sins and about how literally salvation makes us alive in Christ. Um, and so there's a resurrection that happens and when we are delivered from our sin. Um, and that goes back all the way to the birth of Christ. Okay, another thing I want to kind of talk about as setting the world stage for the arrival of Christ is prior to Alexander the Great, the entire area, uh, let me back up a little bit, because we need to go back to um, the Jew, the, the Jerusalem being conquered um, by Babylon. Okay, so when uh, when Nebuchadnezzar first comes in, he does that first um, gleaning of the wise, the best, the beautiful. And he takes them back to Babylon. Um, and that was something that was standardly done. But then he put his man over top of Jerusalem. And as long as everything went well, he wasn't. he would leave it be. Because he didn't have time to micromanage. So he put his man in place and expected it to stay under his domain. Well, um... Several years down the road, uh, it, basically the guy that he had put in charge gets a little bit big for his britches, and he decides that he's going to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Nebuchadnezzar hears a word of it, and he comes in, and he sacks Jerusalem, and he tears down the temple, and he just destroys everything, and I mean utterly destroys. And he carts off, um, like think Trail of Tears, carts off Every person who is physically able to make the journey to Babylon, he takes them. And so the only people that are left in the desolation of Jerusalem, literally, um, they have no hope that, you know, they're either unhealthy, they're sick, they're broken in some way. They, they physically were not able to make the trip. Maybe they're old. Maybe they're, I don't know. But you get the picture. Um, and it gets so bad in Jerusalem that, you know, they're resorted, they resort to, to all kinds of things to survive. Um, and I'm not even going to go there on this podcast. But you need to understand that at that point, they are literally pulled out of their promised land. And they are taken to the farthest reaches of, of their known world at the time. Okay. The other thing that happens is to escape... 
Nebuchadnezzar coming in, they scatter. They go down to Jerusalem. They go to the wilderness. They go all over the known world at the time. Basically, um, what happens in light of this is all of these Jews end up in foreign areas and have to learn the language of all of these small places that they go. And so after a generation or two or three, they lose connection to their Jewish roots and that Hebrew language. And so all of a sudden, the scriptures that they may or may not have with them, they wouldn't be able to read anyway. And so setting the stage for the New Testament, we have Alexander the Great, who's educated by Aristotle in all of these Greek principles and just thinks this is the most amazing thing he's ever heard. And so he literally becomes um, a seller of Greek thought, education, learning, um, the Greek language, which is called Koine Greek. And so everywhere he goes, he establishes this great culture. Well, that influences the Jews in every different place that they end up. And so one of the things that happens is um, in Alexandria down in Egypt, um, where Ptolemy, one of the followers of Alexander, takes over that area, it ends up being an educational center of the region. And so you get Alexandria uh, in Egypt, which becomes kind of like the the most elite university system in the world, all focused in one city. Um, and so one of the things they do is they collect manuscripts of antiquity and they start doing the best preservation projects they can in that season. Uh, one, to preserve all of that history. The other thing that they do is they translate the Old Testament into the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so the Bible that Jesus would have been had access to would have been the Septuagint. Um, and so it's important to know because all of the New Testament writers would have been referencing the Septuagint Old Testament when they are quoting um, any scripture, um, unless they're quoting the letters that they're writing back and forth to themselves and things like that. So you have to understand that key piece. Now, I'm going to take a break for today's podcast, and when I come back, we're going to talk about other things that set the stage for Christ's arrival, because um, I want you guys to really understand that those 400 years, although I did a podcast on that, I really want to focus in on how that sets up for Christ, because there were lots of um, people proclaiming to be Messiah that would raise a revolt um, in the days prior to Jesus. And so the Roman government is already kind of trigger happy when it comes to spiritual leaders rising up and things like that. And I'll explain why. So that is going to be all for today's podcast. Join us next time. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. 
Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.